Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, August 9th. In today's news, Democrats rethink their reluctance to support a ban on assault weapons. ICE defends its immigration raids, even as local officials in Mississippi decry family separations. And Southwest Airlines flew the remains of a Vietnam airman home to Dallas. The pilot was his son. But first, the big idea. President Trump said in a tweet last night that he will name Joseph McGuire, the director of the National Counterterrorism Center, as the acting director of national intelligence, following his aborted effort to install a political loyalist. McGuire is a retired Navy admiral not steeped in the inner workings of the intelligence community, but his appointment is seen as steadying in the middle of a tumultuous shakeup in the top ranks of the country's spy agencies. As Trump announced McGuire's appointment, he also said that Sue Gordon, the deputy director of national intelligence, will resign and not serve in the acting role, as the law says she should, when Director Dan Coats departs next week. Top Democratic and Republican lawmakers have said they wanted Gordon, a career intelligence officer, to fill in for Coats. But Trump was reluctant to keep someone with whom he had never formed a close bond. The president and his aides also regarded her as a career official and consequently suspicious. In a handwritten letter to Trump, Gordon wrote that she had offered her resignation as an act of respect and patriotism, not preference. She added, quote, you should have your own team. Inside sources tell our Shane Harris and Ellen Nakashima that Gordon was heartbroken and agonized over her decision to step down after three decades in government, but she recognized she serves at the pleasure of the president. Current and former intelligence officials were relieved by McGuire's appointment, although it wasn't clear whether Trump will formally nominate him as the permanent intelligence director. McGuire was already confirmed by the Senate for his current post and by law is allowed to assume the duties of acting director. Trump had intended to nominate Congressman John Ratcliffe, the Republican from Texas, as DNI, but Ratcliffe's nomination collapsed last Friday amid bipartisan criticism about his lack of national security experience and allegations that he padded his resume as a former federal prosecutor. McGuire, the new guy, was a SEAL Team 6 commander. He has extensive experience in counterterror operations and national security. Mike McConnell, a former director of national intelligence who worked with McGuire during the George W. Bush administration, says that he listens, he's deliberate, and he makes good decisions. And, quote, he's the kind of guy that all the troops want to have as boss and would follow him anywhere. Congressional Democrats warn that Trump is pushing out Gordon as part of a plot to bring the intelligence agencies to heal. As Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, the vice chair of the Intel Committee, put it, Trump has repeatedly demonstrated that he is incapable of hearing facts that contradict his own views. And the mission of the intelligence community is to speak truth to power. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as the week comes to an end. Number one, after the weekend's shootings, Democrats have begun to reevaluate their longstanding hesitation to embrace a renewal of the assault weapons ban. But few believe such a ban could advance in Washington anytime soon. The ban has long been considered the third rail of gun politics for Democratic lawmakers who have struggled to advance the policy on Capitol Hill, even when they control both chambers of Congress because of reluctance from rural Democrats and those who blame the ban for the party's wipeout in the 1994 midterm elections. The prohibition was allowed to expire after 10 years in 2004 when Republicans controlled Congress and the White House. 
Trump said this week that there's, quote, no political appetite for such a ban, even as he publicly touts the possibility of expanding background checks despite resistance from gun rights advocates. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said on an AM radio station in his home state of Kentucky yesterday afternoon that an assault weapons ban isn't going to happen, but that the Senate may take action on red flag legislation that would make it easier to take guns away from mentally deranged people. Meanwhile, those who are still recovering from the shooting at a Pittsburgh synagogue just 10 months ago are now reaching out to comfort the communities of El Paso and Dayton. Pittsburgh belongs to a club it never wanted to join. The sites of carnage caused by the toxic mix of assault weapons and hate. As the mass shootings proliferate through Aurora, Newtown, Parkland, and Orlando, these communities compose a loose network of trauma. After each massacre, survivors across the country offer messages of empathy to the latest community affected, while coping with a new surge of sorrow back home. After the murders at Tree of Life Synagogue, the residents of Newtown subsidized coffee, at Commonplace Coffee. There were conversations with people from Parkland. A dozen members of the Quebec City Islamic Cultural Center Mosque, the site of a 2017 attack, made a 12-hour drive to offer solace and support. On Wednesday, Pittsburgh's Jewish Community Center held a banner. Everyone in the community came to sign it. The idea was to honor the residents of El Paso, Dayton, and the city's Latino community. Wishes were inked with silver sharpies in the center's cultural hall, which was decorated with photos of Pittsburgh's paragon of kindness, Mr. Rogers. Number two, Trump administration officials strongly defended Wednesday's mass immigration raids at Mississippi workplaces, saying the secretive operation was successful, even if it led to viral videos of weeping children coming home to find their parents missing. But the arrests again exposed what state and local officials say is a major shortcoming in ICE procedures for dealing with children, as parents who were caught up in immigration enforcement activities while at work were unable to pick up their kids from school, daycare centers, and elsewhere, leaving many deserted and, understandably, scared. 24 hours after the raids began, officials at Mississippi's Department of Child Protection Services said they were disturbed by the ICE operation because they still couldn't say conclusively that the children separated from their parents are now in safe hands. Under pressure, ICE has released about 300 of the 680 people detained in the raid, at least for now. Approximately 30 people detained on Wednesday were released at the same site they were detained on humanitarian grounds, according to a press release issued last night by Mike Hurst, the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Mississippi. Another 270 were released after being processed by Homeland Security investigators on Wednesday. Those 270 were taken back to where they were initially detained. According to the AP, ICE officials say 18 juveniles were among those who were released, including a 14-year-old boy. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which has more than 3.3 million baptized members and is one of the largest Protestant Christian denominations in our country, has declared itself officially a, quote, sanctuary church body. It's a sign of support and solidarity for immigrants who are as much God's children as those of us who were native born. Number three, Brian Knight was five years old when he waved goodbye to his father from Dallas Lovefield Airport. He never saw him again. The year was 1967, and Roy Knight Jr. was heading to war. The pilot reported to Udorn Royal Thai Air Force Base in January. By May, after flying nearly daily combat missions, Knight was missing. His plane shot down over enemy territory in Laos. 
It was another seven years before his family found out he had been killed. And on Thursday, 45 years after that, they finally received closure. Knight's remains, recovered near his plane's crash site more than five decades after it went down, were flown from Honolulu to Oakland and from Oakland back to Dallas, where his family greeted the Southwest flight as it arrived. Brian Knight, the son who watched his dad leave to fight in Vietnam, was also the man who flew him home, the pilot of that flight from California to Texas that landed at Love Field, the last place the two saw each other. When the plane landed in Dallas, the airport's fire trucks greeted it with a water salute. Knight's remains in a casket draped with an American flag were received with full military honors. Inside the terminal, hundreds looked on, their faces pressed against windows, listening as a gate agent tearfully recounted the Knight family's story over the intercom. It was the hero's homecoming never afforded to many Vietnam veterans, who today number fewer than 850,000. Some of those men and women are still suffering the long-lingering effects of their time at war, including health issues related to Agent Orange exposure and post-traumatic stress disorder. The National Coalition for Homeless Veterans estimates nearly half of all homeless veterans on the street today served during Vietnam. But at the end of a week dominated by so much McCabe news, including in the great state of Texas, Knight's return to Love Field was the rare bright spot. Knight is now one of more than 1,000 Americans killed in the Vietnam War, whose remains the Defense Department has identified and returned to families for burial and closure. There are still more than 1,500 who remain unaccounted for. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, August 9th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you on Monday.